The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. I can't decide what to play. Um, maybe I'll do. How you feel about starting with a murder ballad? Okay. <laughs> this is Ross Newell. We're at the Sunstroke House in Columbus, Mississippi, and this song is called "I Know That Man." I saw him cry the second time he talked and not to when he dotted both my eyes the third and fourth and fifth time he so quickly tracked me down still the few friends I had left would ask me why I stuck around I know that man I know him well I know his father walked his mother right through hell I know that man I know that man I know him like I know the back of his hand. Came home tired every evening from working on the farm. I'd sneak aside some grocery money before he put it in his arm. My friend Becky was a cashier Working at the shop and say you gave me coupons for concealer Guess I wore them like those days She said, I know that man, I know him well He used to be the one telling everyone I failed He's something else, he's not a man And you know it like you know The back of his hand I gave Becky all the money I'd been saving all this time She said she knew some seedy fella just across the county line One night he passed out in his armchair after rattling my brains So I took that grocery money and I put it in his veins I walked all the way to Becky's house The night as clear as day I felt the blessing of my father But I couldn't feel my wedding day when the sheriff brought the bad news Your husband has been found You gotta identify the body Can you come with me downtown? I know that man I know him well He had his team 
man. Oh, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks very much. Hey, this is your host, Alan Aldridge, and I just wanted to do a little housekeeping for a second. Uh, for starters, I wanted to thank you for listening to Porch Talk. And if you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to it on. It helps out a lot. While you're at it, tell a friend. Uh, via social media or in person, uh, you know a lot of people I don't know, and you know the kind of people who would be into this show. So uh, help a brother out in that regard. Also, for those of you who have shared your music, uh, I look forward to sharing it here on the show. And for those of you who are interested, that email address is porchtalk115 at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me there, and uh, I'll talk to you about it. So I appreciate those who have shared their music with me and uh, shared a little bit of their story behind it. So I really appreciate that, guys. Jamie, thank you so much for what you do at the Sunstroke House and bringing these wonderful artists in who probably would never play in Columbus if it wasn't for it. So I appreciate the passion and the heart that you have for music and good music. And so thank you for setting this up. And so when I got to the Sunstroke House, it was couple hours before the show and Monk and Ross were getting ready for a sound check and we got the chairs out got everything set and we stepped outside on the porch to shoot the bull for a second and before we went upstairs to do a podcast so without further ado here it is all right welcome to another episode of porch talk as Ross mentioned we are in Columbus Mississippi at the Sunstroke Ross thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Oh, of course thank you for having me and just to kind of start it off, this is a mini tour that you're on right now? That's right. Yeah, I, um, I just got back from a run uh, in Colorado and, and uh, California and uh, spent a day at home, kind of dumped the suitcase in the washing machine and then out of the dryer into the suitcase and, and took off again. And uh, Yeah, I was in New Orleans last night, uh, here tonight, and uh, Tuscaloosa tomorrow night. Great. Yeah. I'll probably come catch you again tomorrow. I hope so. If you're not <laughs> sick of me by then, I wouldn't blame you if you were. <laughs> so, man, just uh, let's start from uh, from the beginning and uh, just a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Okay, I, I was born in uh, into a home in in West Mobile, Alabama, and uh, I've I've grown up around Mobile my my whole life. We moved a lot, but it was to all, different all the, parts. Yeah, just sort of different towns, even surrounding Mobile. Uh, a lot live, of different schools and. Did you ever live at the Watermelon Capital? The what? Grand Bay. Oh no, I did not. I did not. <laughs> but I tell you, West Mobile gets lumped in these days. West Mobile and Grand Bay are all Mississippi. To anybody that lives in Mobile, that's uh, that you, might as well be Mississippi, is what they say. Yes. Yeah, so while I was down there, I stayed down there six years. I lived in West Mobile. I lived right off University Boulevard, okay. an apartment there, and then I moved to Grand Bay. And uh, lived in Grand Bay for a couple of years and moved over to St. Elmo. All right. Theodore area. Yeah. And uh, was down at University of uh, Mobile, so Sarah Land. So sure. Spent, spent a lot of time all over them parts. Oh, nice. I'm fairly I'm, familiar. I'm no stranger to Exit 13, man. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. man. Uh, I used to, I, I ran a music store, uh, managed a music store during college there in Sarah Land. So I, yeah. I met a lot of uh, University of Mobile alumni through the years they've got some talent coming in they sure there. do they sure do when i when i left kennedy uh to go down the mobile it was uh big fish little pun exactly okay. what it was because yeah. not that I, I i was prideful but i got down there to mobile and i was like i'm 
feel like I'm decent on guitar and I'm decent with vocals. Yeah. And then you get in this room of 200 other people <laughs> and you're like, small fish. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so that was a uh, very humbling experience. But anyway, back on you. Uh, so different schools moving around. Yeah, yeah. I ended up uh, until it was very seldom that I got to go to one school for an entire year until about the uh, eighth grade, I guess. We ended up settling in Washington County, uh, about an hour north of mm-hmm. Mo- the, the heart of Mobile. And uh, I graduated from Fruitdale High School. Yeah. And uh, I uh, ended up, you know, I, I, sometime somewhere through there, I, I got really into, I've always been kind of the music fan of the family, even being little, I uh, was constantly just singing some song I'd learned from the TV. And, and yeah. uh, at about 11, I um, we had the sort of family storage unit guitar that there's the guitar that's always in the storage unit because we were moving around so much, but it was just, it was old harmony and was yeah. missing the bridge and had two strings on it. And I was, all, I was always so interested in bringing that thing home. And yeah. uh, finally we did. And it took a little while to figure out why it sounded uh, as bad as it as it did, and finally got some strings for it and new bridge for it, and and I uh, got really uh, kind of obsessed with that at about eleven, and around thirteen I was uh, playing songs quietly in my bedroom, and and was inspired was was compelled to to try to sing along uh, yeah. and try to write and and that sort of thing. I wrote some terrible songs uh, and sang them quietly in my room and. Until uh, meeting some buddies in high school, and we started our our, our kind of our first band uh, called Hamlin, okay. and uh, Hamlin is the town where the story of the Pied Piper took place. We thought that was uh, cool, yeah. and uh, we played a lot of Sweet Sixteen birthday parties and uh, pool parties. Whatnot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But in that in that lineup, I got sort of. Uh, uh, none of us wanted to sing, uh, but everybody else really, really didn't want to sing. I just sort of got peer pressured or, or voted into singing, and uh, I've been kind of apologetically doing it since. <laughs> I don't think you should be apologetic. Well, I appreciate it. I, I think uh, I think I I think uh, only about five years ago, all all of my all of that band's rec- we ended up staying together. Hamlin did uh, until probably I don't know two thousand and five or so 2006 and um during that time we were we were making records but i think i i was more obsessed with making it sound right you know i I would i would i would completely uh blow my voice out just trying to sing you know in the the studio just trying to sing it over and over and over again and Mm -hmm. and i'd find myself starting to emulate other vocalists and and uh because that was what was sounded right was the, the stuff I was listening to. They're doing it right, and I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, and, and trying to find your own way. Yeah, I really was, and and uh, I started. Uh, we started the, the the band, the Mulligan Brothers, and and we toured up until January of this past year. Um, Is that same as Hamlin? Same numbers? No, no, uh, Hamlin. We ended up. It was just kind of the 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 same old story. Where I'm still very, those those guys are still my best friends to this day. The guys from Hamlin. Um, but uh, people started getting married and having kids, and it started just, getting a little difficult. It, yeah, yeah. So we just kind of petered out, and uh, and then the Mulligan brothers came after that, and I think it was really. Uh, I did a lot of solo shows in between Hamlin and the Mulligan brothers, and somewhere in there, I started sort of caring less 
about how right it sounded and uh it became i guess when i was when i started playing every night it became a how do i make this so that i enjoy this every time every night how do i make this so that i'm not thinking about my taxes while i'm playing a show right. <laughs> somewhere yeah. and uh and feeling it that was the trick feeling it was was how i can enjoy this every night hopefully for the rest of my life and so the the honesty of the songs and the honesty of how the song sounded became more important so now i'm and perhaps i i'm adjusting reality to to my needs or my will but yeah. um now it just i'm i'm far more moved by mistakes that convey a feeling than i am perfect pitch or you know uh the perfect recording of a song i, I like just the yeah. i like when i hear a song and I don't feel like my intelligence is being insulted. I, this is this is what my guitar sounds like. This is what my voice sounds like. This is what our drums sound like. Yeah. Now, uh, we've we've made this record. And we hope you enjoy it. And if we don't, then, then we understand. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So is it like a DIY or is it through a label? Um, it's well, we've been completely independent. We're we're technically we made our own label uh, with our manager called Southern Roots Records. Okay. And uh, but we still I. I, I wrote majority of the the songs uh and uh, co-wrote a few and i think there's only on the last record uh melody the violin player uh wrote a song for the last record okay but the rest of them i'm at least a co-writer on but most of them i wrote for myself so i still own all those and uh we uh as far as the recording process went we we the the first record was kind of self-produced but we were in a studio with two engineers and both of them really wanted to be a producer and yeah. and uh and or not 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 that's unfair they didn't want to be a producer but they they were smart and they had ideas and we went with a, with a lot of them uh sometimes we wanted to sometimes we didn't and uh the second record uh steve berlin uh of los lobos um we have a mutual friend and uh he told our mutual friend that he'd be interested in producing the next record after he'd heard the first one mm -hmm. and we were you know starstruck and you know said absolutely and we uh went we went to portland uh oregon for a for a month toured our way out there and then vrbo at a house out there for a for a month and and uh recorded that record uh in a, in a studio but we lived in that house and lived in portland for a month and then toured our way back and uh steve berlin is uh remarkable you know he's a he's a he's an incredible talent but I don't think we had enough time to get to know each other beforehand to make sure that we all were on the same page of what kind of album we wanted to make. Okay. You know? And uh, so that's that was kind of, uh, um, you know, we wrote uh, we wrote and made good songs for for that record, and I still love it. But I, I think I think that's probably the least representative of what we were what we were going for. Trying to convey. And so by the time we were ready to make the third record, we we looked at the budget for the last one and said, "Man, we can buy a lot of recording gear uh, for for how much money we we, exactly." And so on that third record, we we just uh, we converted several rooms in my house and we were able to spend as much time on it as we felt like it it deserved and uh, and we used a Trina Shoemaker to mix it, but it was the, it was the first truly self-produced product project that I've that I've been involved with and I, I as of to date it's my favorite work that I've been a part of I, I enjoy I enjoy that freedom for sure <laughs> and so going back to when you were 11 and seeing that guitar and just getting interested and you mentioned that uh it was the television shows and the music that was on there and you were humming along 
what were some of the other influences that were really getting you into music or who were some of the guys yeah well i've always i've i've always had a soft spot for kind of the the songwriter type even before i even had a, a cast cast a type for that i i i've always out of my parents record collections you know which which were fairly small you know they mm-hmm. uh they were music fans but it didn't really show in the in the record collection and and uh i would i would lean more towards the willie nelson's than i would the other stuff in there and i grew that grew into being a bob dylan fan and a jackson brown fan and okay. a, uh towns van zan eventually and uh and you know tons of modern ones too i think i think Josh Ritter is writing better than anybody right now. I think that guy's He's incredible. Yeah, I, I just every time he puts out a record, I tend to get stuck on it for a three and a half months and mm-hmm. give myself a week break, and then I get stuck on it again. I, I, I think I think he's doing an amazing, amazing thing for the planet. I do. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's always been the influences were always whoever I felt was telling the most truth at the time. You know yeah. and. Uh, and obviously, I think everybody's telling a truth. Maybe it's the truth that I agree with that I'm that I'm attracted to. I, I don't know. Yeah. The first uh, song I heard by Bob Dylan, I guess I was I was just getting old enough to like understand it and like appreciate it because like I remember listening to Bob Dylan as a child and I was like, the guy can't sing. Yeah, right. Of course. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. And then uh, it's uh, blowing in the wind. Oh yeah. And I heard that song and it. The answer is blowing in the wind. And right. I was like, man, we spend so much time just looking dead at the answer, and we just don't want to see it. That's, right. That's right. what he's trying to tell us. And I think <laughs> it's, it's such a perfectly packaged message, too, because I think the nature of what Bob Dylan sounds like and who Bob Dylan is and how brilliant of a guy he's been for such a long time, mm-hmm. I think that he was releasing these songs, and there was such a, such a small... I mean small demographic relatively speaking to how many people are on the planet you know but mm-hmm. there's such a small group of people who appreciated what what those songs were for you know from the beginning people that heard blowing in blowing in the wind for the first time were like had their hair blown out blown, blown back from the beginning yeah and then most of everybody else it took decades for them to just get over the fact that he sounds he sounds like he sounds yeah. but listen listen to what he's saying here listen to this song the yeah. song is what you ought to be listening for not not his voice and so I'm a sucker man he, he, I got I, I've got on you know Bob colored glasses in a way that I, I I I've been to see him several times yeah I'm completely surrounded by people who are who are disgusted that they've spent money to hear this um, I, I, every show, every every Bob Dylan show I've been to, I'm surrounded by people who are complaining that they paid good money and they don't even recognize these songs. And I'm just like, what in the hell are you talking about? This is amazing. This is, <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't understand it. At the same time, I do. But final answer, no, I do not understand it. I was at a music festival a few years ago, and the Wallflowers were there. Okay. And uh, you know, it's Jacob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> And was standing out in the crowd, and um, there was an older couple standing right next to me, and she was like, "That lead man, that front man, the singer, 
he reminds me of Bob Dylan. <laughs> and I said, that's his son. And she was like, no. <laughs> no way. I was, yeah. I was like, that's why the mannerisms and a lot of things you hear. That's right. That is no coincidence. Son. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, I've got to look this up. I was like, his name's Jacob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I'll back you up on this. I'll confirm this officially here on this podcast. (laughs) Jacob Dylan is the spawn of Bob Dylan. I I confirm. (laughs) So it it took some convincing for her. (laughs) But um, as you were uh, beginning to learn to play guitar, so I guess covering some Bob Dylan songs and some of those influences at first and then trying to move off into what you were calling trash songs. Yeah, yeah. I um I also, you know, I those were those were sort of I guess the spiritual influences, but I was also a ninety ki- 90s kid, so I was and, also listening to everything everybody else was Nirvana. listening to. Nirvana, yeah, of course. And and even on into, you know, the late nineties too, where like I, I was I love Nirvana, I love Pearl Jam, I love Soundgarden, I loved all those bands that sort of got grouped together. And then I also loved, you know, when that earthy thing happened to grunge music and it started becoming VH1-y and, and uh, the Counting Crows and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Gin Blossoms and Dishwalla and all that stuff was coming. I was eating it up. They, the, the radio was feeding it to me and I was eating yeah. it up too. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so disciplined as to, you know, like, from the beginning, nothing's better than Jackson Brown. There were times where I was in a Jackson Brown stage, and it was the thing that made the most sense to me out of everything. But then, you know, August and everything after comes out, and I was like, oh, wait, this is my thing. Yeah. I changed my mind. This yeah. is my thing now. Yeah. So it was, uh, I was kind of all over the place. And I was, I was very much influenced by all of it equally, though. And, and so I was trying my best to write thoughtful songs. And I think that my big weakness, the reason those songs were trash, was because I had not figured out how to be confident enough to be honest yet i i think and the older i get i've i've learned that there's a price for it but i've also learned what it's worth to me all of my favorite stuff that i've ever written and i get the feeling from songs that i that i didn't write that i hear and i just, mm-hmm. I, I just there's a feeling that i can that i that i credit myself with the ability to to see it and I could be completely wrong but I think that my favorite stuff comes from when people decide how honest they can afford to be you know they yeah. they're in they're in real life relationships with their loved ones their families and and uh, even if it's with their fan base they're in real life real time relationships and if they're being honest about that they stay they they're risking you know, I'm, I'm I'm being honest, and then my loved ones are going to hear this, mm-hmm. or I'm being, right. or, or you know, uh, or my fan base is going to hear this. I'm saying something that I just need to say, and there's a, there's likely a consequence to this somewhere. So they figure out how far they're how far they're willing to go, push that boundary, and then they go just a little bit further, and that's that's where those are the songs that give me the most chills. You yeah. know, these days is when I can just sense the sincerity. With uh, sincerity uh, and honesty, those are two things that I, I love in songwriting too, and I try to be as transparent as I can be in my songwriting. But it's tough. Uh, it is, yeah. especially if it's something extremely personal. Sure. And so I don't want to be juvenile or talk too metaphorical, right. you know, to like right. completely displace what I'm talking about. But um, I found like some of my favorite songs that I've written. It could be uh, like. Never had a miscarriage, but like I use that kind of in a song um, 
to talk about how a dream died. I see. And yeah, right. Like I had people after I shared the song, they was like, "Who'd you have a miscarriage with?" And I was like, "That's." It sounds like that. Yeah. I was like, because it was a dream that we had between two people. Sure. And then the dream died, and so it was like that. Yeah. And I was yeah. that's what I was trying to say, and I was like, it did come off that way, so maybe I need to work on it. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing uh, as well, where I, sometimes the only smart thing about a song is that it's it's not about what you think it is. You know, sometimes that's the only catch. Yes. Yeah. I've got songs that the lines are not that great, they're not, but... The only clever thing about it was that it's not it's not what you think it is, yeah. and I, that's a secret I can choose to die with, or yeah. I can share it with everybody. And yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously, you and I both know there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I think I've gotten so I've I've gotten remarkably closer to deciding what the right way is for me. I think, I, and um, and, unf- and and unfortunate for the people that I that I love and that I, you know, and with all the time, sometimes that's a, that's a real personal thing that, that ends up on the table and you try not to be, like you, I, I was, um, back in those trash song days, which, you know, I, I may be, uh, completely off base thinking that the songs aren't trash to this day, but the, the songs that I consider trash <laughs> yeah. from, from back in the day were, um, I think I was so impressed with, all my favorite writers and their their metaphors and their you know it was kind of cryptic in this very charming way. Mm-hmm. And I think I would catch myself just in retrospect. I think I was a young kid, almost just trying to be cryptic. I didn't have anything to write about, but yeah. in lieu of having something to write about, I'll just be incredibly cryptic. So yeah. nobody can say it's about nothing because they don't understand it. <laughs> it's the same thing, really. And as the older I get, I was like, I finally have a story. Yeah, I finally I can craft a better story right. out of the situation, right. and I've totally man. Like uh, when I was eighteen, I was taking guitar lessons from this cat, okay. and he just started a studio, and I had been with him for uh, I think two years at this time, and he said, uh, "You've been here for a while, man. You want to be one of the first victims here in the studio?" I said, like, "Absolutely, <laughs> nice." He's like, "You got any songs you've written?" I was like, "I actually just wrote one." And it was that same thing. It was the first song I ever wrote, and it was it was about an ex girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a big. It was extremely cryptic. Sure. And I was just trying to be as clever and as crafty as I could be. And like, at no point is a girl ever mentioned. Right. But like the subject <laughs> is her. Right. But it's right. like mm, you would never get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got a few uh, that I still play to this day that are, that are that are I think way i find myself explaining those songs a lot more yeah i almost feel like it's my penance for uh for writing this song is that now every time i play it i have to tell the story, I have to tell the story yeah. of what it is yeah and even, even now with songwriting and getting into it and maybe you can share with this is whether i, I try to write maybe about a, a story that I, I saw happen in a friend's life sure and maybe live through their through right. their side, and then maybe in the next verse, kind of tell how I saw it. Right, right. Um, and just trying different avenues and seeing what works. Absolutely, I think that's um, that is one of the essentials. That's a necessary tool. Um, primarily, uh, I, I sort of treat 
yes, I agree with all of that. But even when I'll kind of delve into fictional songs where it's just a story, it's almost like a movie plot that I've mm-hmm. envisioned. And I don't make movies, I make songs. So yeah. how do I make this a song? Yeah. And um, that was a real struggle for me for a long time because it felt insincere. You know, I, I, I kind of chipped away at it until I could find... What I found was that if there was that one thing, that one connection that I that I identified with so genuinely that that was the thing that put me inside that song that was the that was the thing and maybe sometimes that's a friend you know mm-hmm. that's that's a it's a friend that um is going through something that you feel you know because yeah. you you you're inside of it by proxy but you're inside of it and and it gives you a vantage point to write from yeah. and you're also you're also outside looking in and you're just kind of watching them deal right they're like in this tornado or what you know whatever this storm of life is bringing and you're just kind of on the outside be like i'm cheering you on man yeah but i got my pen ready right right (laughs) no i'm I'm with you i'm with you i think that's a a sort of brilliant take i don't know that i've ever done i don't know that i've ever done that um sort of in the same song where i took the i took the same subject and 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 threw cameras all all the way around it and and wrote from each camera perspective i don't know that i've done that but that's a great idea i think that's brilliant I don't know if it works. Like I've written two Sounds like, like that, and I haven't I haven't shared them oh, I see. with anyone yet. I see. Like they're recorded, but I okay. haven't I haven't shared them, and I'm still still working. Still. Well, yeah, we always are. That's <laughs> you can't slow down on yeah. one. But I can't wait to hear them. Yeah. So they'll be on here eventually. Oh, that's so great. You'll, you'll that's great. I can't wait. I can't wait. Fifty episodes from now. All right. All right. <laughs> I will patiently await them. <laughs> right. So. Getting into high school, Hamlin starts becoming a thing, and so like the organization with that, you didn't have a singer, uh, but the, the drummer and the bassist and everything else kind of fell in line pr- pretty Some, easy. Somewhat, we um, it was really the the core of it. Um, me and uh, me and the drummer worked at this uh, catfish restaurant in uh, in Citronelle, Alabama, and um, we. Uh, went to school together and worked together uh, at night and so we ended up spending a great deal of time together and um, we uh, he was a drummer and, and I was a guitar player so eventually we ended up getting ourselves together in the same room with with a set of drums and a guitar and and uh, had us a good old time and then we my, my best friend of all time Garrett Thornton um, uh, had been, you know, for the last year or so, had started showing some interest in guitar. And he's one of these guys that just uh, decided he was going to learn, uh, picked it up, started taking some lessons, and within a year passed us all up. You know, he was just better, better than ever, better than all of us. Like, Where'd you go sell your soul? Man? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he is soulless for sure. I don't know where his soul is. He is ginger too. <laughs> no, right not. Right now, he's one of those soulless brunettes. Mm. <laughs> um. But he, uh, so he was in, you know, so now it was the three of us and, and yeah. it turns out that, uh, our fellow, a fellow, uh, catfish cook, um, that was already out of high school. His name was Snapper Silvers. And, nice. uh, he, uh, he had always been kind of a rhythm guitar player, really into country music. And, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have a lot in common musically, but we got along well. And, and he decided one day, you know, the same way that, no offense to bass players out there, but I've heard, you know, this seems to be the way that bass players become bass players is they, they wanted to be a guitar player. There was already five guitar players and it's like, you, you can play guitar, you know where the root is. Yeah. So just, just play quarter notes on the root and you're the bass player now. Yeah. And so he, he sort of became one of those bass players. Yeah. And, uh, he was with us for 
you know, I don't. He was he was with us very much during the uh, Sweet Sixteen pool party stage of of high school, and then Snapper uh, didn't didn't last, and and uh, we ended up uh, Hamlin really, in my opinion, could sort of start. We a guy I went to college with named Adam Lynn mm-hmm. um, was in a was in a band at the time, and he was just one of the he was one of those true bass players. He was not a he was not a convert. He was he was not a yeah. acoustic guitar player playing the bass. This was a bass player, yeah. and his to, to this day I've not met a bass player whose whose fingers sound the way his right hand. Uh, it's, it's just magical. I can I can pick up a bass play all the bass licks I know and sit it down and be like, this bass sounds like garbage. This is cheap bass. And then he picks it up and makes it sound like a million bucks. It's just, he's, it's, he's just got he's it. He's just got it. He's, yeah. uh, and uh, when he joined the band, that's when we really, that's when we became a serious band. That's when we started doing sort of touring the Southeast. And okay. and uh, that was that was the college version of the band that, that made records and stuff. That was, I got you. Yeah. So where'd you go to college? What was you studying? I was a music major at Faulkner State Community College. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Familiar um, with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a... Uh, it goes by a different name now, Coastal uh, something. Yeah, it's like G-C-C-C-C-C. Yeah, it's a thousand like C's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's... Uh, I was a um, music major. I got, down, got on... Uh, with a scholarship, kind of by technicality, I I heard through some friends that they still had some music scholarships to give, and I I, I was not an impressive young man in high school. I didn't have any scholarships. I didn't know if I was going to be able to go to go to college or not. Yeah. And um, I heard that there were some scholarships available for for music, and said, "Well, I, you know, I'll be mad at myself if I if I didn't give it a try." And so I went in and uh, played guitar for them, and it was good enough for them. They said, "This is this is this is great. We actually you're you're." Uh, you're right up there with the best we've got the, this year for guitar, which, you know, who knows what I was getting compared to, but they were they were happy enough with me. Yeah. And uh, they said, here's the problem, though. We um, we don't have, we've already filled up all our guitar scholarships. We desperately need Singers. a bass player. Oh. We desperately need a bass player for what they call Sun Chief Sandwich, was like the, the, the show choir. Okay. Um, they're not allowed to give out scholarships for Sun Chief Sound because that makes the school money the, the Sun Chief Sounds that they, they go out and play for Tour events and, and, and yeah. so that makes the school money so they're not allowed to give scholarships for it so kind of like do you get what we're saying here if you were able to bring in a bass and sort of uh, you know make it through something we might be able to get you that bass scholarship yeah. that you're after and then you play guitar and jazz band yeah. and all that good stuff we just need you need you terribly we need you in, in on bass we just need you to hold a bass yeah exactly exactly so I um, I said yeah I think I'm I did that thing that all bass players do I was like I know the route <laughs> I can I can do that I can even run a little scale yeah for right right play. I can I can play higher ground the Chili Peppers version for you because that's what it, that's what we all wanted to do yeah. on the bass the and uh, that's exactly what I played for them too. They they put a bass in my hands right there on the spot after I, I showed up for a guitar audition. They put a bass in my hand, and uh, so like, just go ahead and warm up for a second. We're just going to talk amongst yourselves. And so I've spent the whole time playing higher ground, trying to like impress them I'm somehow. Knock your socks yeah, off. right. You haven't. You thought yeah, I was a guitar yeah. player. I'm actually a, I'm actually a bassist. Yeah, I am like slapping the hell out of this thing like completely inappropriately, and it's embarrassing to think back on now and. And um, I, in, um, in uh, marching band and concert band in high school, I played tenor sax, um, but I still, you know, I had essentially no experience reading any kind of bass clef 
uh, instrument. I hadn't, you know, I, I, I had never needed to do it, never yeah. had to do it. I never, I, I could pass the test on it for music theory classes and mm-hmm. stuff, but I, I could label on my, I knew the, uh, all cars eat gas stuff, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Face I, I, yeah exactly. That. I couldn't, but I just, I never read anything on bass clef. And so, uh, they put, they, you know, let me play, they, you know, sort of uh, indulged me and let me play higher ground for a little while. And they set a music stand in front of me with some bass music and like, can you go ahead with this? And so I like, I could feel my heart beating into my eyeballs. What language is that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is that Greek? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and I was just, uh, I, you know, probably pre-panic attack. And, and then I decided just to, you know, come clean. Like, hey guys, I don't, I didn't mean to mislead you. Like, I, I don't read music. I don't, I don't read, um, I can read treble clef on a saxophone. I'm, I'm getting there on guitar, but I'm not there. Um, and I definitely have not mm-hmm. read bass clef. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And, uh. They said, "Well, do you understand how the staff works on bass clef?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, I'll tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna walk away for twenty minutes. Here's a pencil. You know, you make all the notes you can on this, and we'll be back in twenty minutes to give it a try." And so I was like, "Hey, uh, fair, fair shot." So yeah. I went through I, the timing. I, I understood fine. I just I just didn't I couldn't I wasn't quick enough with the note placement. So I yeah. made a bunch of notes, and they came back in, and I guess I did it well enough to get the, the scholarship. get the scholarship. So that's that's how I that's how I went to college. I uh, yeah. I had uh I didn't have much experience with music theory. It terrified me mm-hmm. a little bit. And when I first started playing guitar, my interest peaked with uh my best friend. He played uh Proud Mary by nice. CCR at yeah. the talent show and it blew me away. And there was this other cat at the rival high school at Vernon. His name was uh McKay, Trevor McKay. Okay. And this was the same guy I was taking lessons from eventually down the road. Didn't know it at the time. It was his nephew. The dude at like 16 years old was playing the national anthem behind his head <laughs> or with his tongue. I and I was like, this kid. if that guy doesn't make it, <laughs> right. no one is. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so like seeing those two guys, it was extremely influential on me. And so my grandmother took me down to a guitar shop and got a guitar. And the guy took me upstairs and started teaching me how to read music and theory. And I was like... I want to rock. Nice, yeah. And uh, he'd done that for a month, and he's like, you don't like this. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> and then I eventually found Dennis, who, you know, he's like, I am going to teach you theory, but he said, I'm going to teach it the way you want to learn Okay, it. yeah. And I was like, cool. And I was like, what's that mean? And he said, scales, and typical things you need to know about the guitar. Sure. I was like, I won't bother trying to teach you how to read. Right, I got you. Yeah. I'll, I'll teach you how to get by. And I was like, that's all I want. There you go. And then I got down there to college, and they was like putting. Cause I sucked at sight singing. And yeah, stuff. I couldn't. Mm. Right. What's that note? It's an e. Make it with your mouth. E. Is that cool? Is that it's, That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Or I could give it to you in Spanish. E. I, mean, I don't know. But I, I I was terrified of it. I just I, that wasn't the way I wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. You know I don't I don't know that I was. I got really fired up about marching band and concert band when I was in high school, and I uh, got to be the drum major my senior year of the of the marching band, and so I, I got to go to like some drum major camps and stuff. I was yeah. I was trying my best to be a dork about it, you know, like and, and I say that in the most uh, endearing way. I've, I've all of my favorite people in the world are band dorks, you know, yeah. uh, but I um, I pretty quickly. I had a great, I had a, 
the first the first year that I was a music major, there was a mandatory guitar class. I I love so I'm supposed to be kind of majoring in whatever my uh, my my scholarship instrument yeah, was. Bass. But I but I, I I told them you know I got I don't want to take bass lessons. Like I, I'm playing I'm playing uh, under the boardwalk, you know, in front of people in red dresses and tuxes that are dancing and singing. You know, I got I got I got this, but I'm not I'm not planning on continuing the, I don't I have no show band aspirations you know yeah. after this so uh, can I can I please do guitar for my required lessons instead of bass and and they they said yeah there's this guy named Walter Allen who was my uh, really I was my first guitar lessons that I ever did. I was I was self-taught up, mm-hmm. in, up until then and uh, I he he was he's one of the best finger style guitar players that I've that I especially at the time that I'd ever encountered, but still to this day, uh, he was he was something special. He was great, mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up having some. He had to get uh, carpal tunnel uh, surgeries on both oh. both arms uh, at the same time, and it mess him up. It, well, he he was strong about it. He he did a very he had an interesting way of dealing with it. He came back and taught for a little while, but it was I think it was hurt. It was painful for him, but he was still passionate about it, and he'd still come in to teach us lessons. But he start. He would tune down his guitar a whole step so that he could put a capo on the... He started out with just one whole step. He would tune it down a whole step and put a capo on the on the second fret. Yeah. And it brought all the frets closer together. So he didn't have to reach as far. It was less movement. And that worked so well that he upped his gauge and started dropping it two whole steps yeah. and moving on up a little further. So now he had to move even less. And he was just a... Man, what a great picker. And... Um, and then eventually they, they brought in a, a new guy uh, the next year to teach the lessons, and I my passion uh, for my passion for guitar lessons dwindled uh, quite quite a bit yeah. uh, then. But what I what I learned is there were so many great guitar players in that program at the time. There was a guy named Eric who was one of the you know I'd never met a more technical player in my life. He had one of these you know like Jackson speed guitars you know Those like uh, seven off. string you yeah. know he's just sweet Shredding, and just yeah. you know going nuts and i was just you know jaw on the floor like i'm never going to be able to do that yeah and he was very well read he he could you know he could sight read that stuff that sounded like he was you know um and he's one of the most talented guys i've ever known but he 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 really seemed to there wasn't a there wasn't a division. Nobody ever gave me any any crap for not being able to to read as well or anything like that. But there really seemed to be kind of a difference between those types of players. There's the, the guys who can really read and really like they've they've spent you know so much time and and have learned this craft and they they you can you can they're kind of a machine about it. You put some music in front of them and mm-hmm. they'll just blow your mind. Yeah, but. They stopped feeling it a long, a long time ago. They now, now it's like I don't know what I don't know what to do without that music in front of me. Yeah. Obviously, it's not two kinds of players. There's there's a, a gray area as big I, as yeah, there's I know any what other you're area. talking about. It's like I want to be the guy that's come from the heart, not from the head. Yeah, I've gotten to that point, and I think that maybe I'm, I'm justifying my laziness with that by saying you know <laughs> like I, I really should be practicing a lot more. I wish that I could do that stuff, yeah. but at the same time, I really really enjoy. Sounding as bad as I do, but really meaning it. Yeah, I'm the same man. I love same that. Way, man. Like, you can get down with it. You can get yeah. down with it. If not, I get. You know, I understand. I, get it. I understand. I wish I could change it, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs>
And so, uh, when did Mulligan Brothers? When did that come together? So, two thousand six, around that Hamlin stopped, and yeah, um, and then I played by myself uh, for a few years, and and during that in between time, that's when I quit my day jobs and went full time music. I was a union electrician for a while, and I worked for this home automation company, uh, and I was just playing at night as much as I could, yeah. and. Uh, and somewhere in between there, I don't know what year, but I'd say some somewhere between 2006 and 2011. I let's say for the sake of expediency, 2009 is maybe when I when I quit the quit the day job. That whole time I'd been uh, just booking up every solo gig I could find, right. uh, trying to build up enough gigs to be able to do this full time. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, you know, I learned a lot about myself. That was really, I think, that was my biggest time for discovery of what my voice actually is, and and um, that when I'm singing in my natural voice, it just sounds this bad, and I'm going to learn to get used to it. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, around, I did, I did that for several years, and around 2000, maybe maybe late 2011 or, or early 2012, we we sort of really got the Mulligan Brothers together and started. Mm-hmm we were tool shedding it you know we were figuring out what we were going to do we were doing as much planning as we were playing and that we were figuring out a strategy for how sure um the mulligan brothers that was the the namesake was this is our do-over band we're going to try again knowing what we know now so we're going to be yeah. smart about this and we're going to strategize i was wondering about that name i was like ain't nobody's name in here no nope. nope. <laughs> like, was like it's got to be like a golf terms like a do-over it I was, was. Like, okay it was that's I exactly did. We had um, all been in, in, in projects uh, already, and and they didn't work out for assorted reasons. But we learned a lot from them. Let's mm-hmm. let's go back out and put this knowledge to use and and, and do something. And, you can do uh, it halfway right. Now. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so we did a lot of. We almost immediately started. I you know I had a bunch of songs written and, and saved up, and so we almost immediately started doing rehearsals at my house, uh, and and we would set up the recording rig and kind of do pre-production recordings and we were nitpicking and making adjustments and edits and by the middle late of 2012 we went into the studio and recorded a record really before we had done any touring to speak of we were just kind of playing uh yeah either in mobile or mississippi or like the gulf gulfport you know ocean springs area our mm-hmm. fiddle player at the time was was from there so we had the good connections in Mobile, and he had them there, so we were just kind of yeah. only playing there. Going back and forth. Yeah, and uh, we recorded that first record and had a CD release party at the Bluegill on the Causeway. Familiar. Yeah. Been and, there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. there a few times. I've fallen asleep there before. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had that CD release party and then left right after it. Uh, we, we had the rental van waiting outside we were headed out on our first tour uh after that so we we went up to i think we started in guthrie oklahoma was our first stop because we were headed to denver and mm-hmm. uh and then we ended up having a few colorado gigs kind of spread out all over uh, all the different elevations and then and then kind of back on back on home from there but that was uh that was the beginning of something big for me like i, I got to you know, I, i've gotten to go all over the world uh because of that band I, you know Great. we uh, we toured very heavily for uh, something like seven years, I guess. And uh, I know getting on YouTube and checking out some of the places y'all have played and you have played, just in the U.S. is 
dude getting around yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm that's one of the reasons i love this job so much. one of the many reasons i love this job so yeah. much is i you know i truly i think i you know subtract alaska and hawaii and i think i've got the the 48 the 48 cover and uh and we've done so we've done you know a handful of european tours and <clears> i've <throat> gotten to go to the Middle East and Africa, and you wow. know, like I've, I've gotten to see so many things that I can't imagine any other way that I would have gotten to see them, uh, yeah. except for playing songs that sometimes people like. <laughs> when you're interacting Africa, Middle East, Europe, and just with fans there, like, what are some of the questions that kind of come up? Like, I guess about from do they ask you about back home or they do? So to be fair, the I didn't get to, and so in the Middle East and Bahrain, we got to. The, the Middle East and Bahrain were both uh, Navy entertainment tours, so we were over there playing for the troops. Yeah. So pretty much, it was all the people we were playing for were American. Americans that just had. How they get hooked up? We uh, played some kind of showcase. I can't remember what the. It had like an a. Uh, uh, I can't. I can't remember the name. It was one of the. I can't even think of the proper name for the name I'm thinking of. Where you know. Uh, their name was built up of the first letter of acronym. Uh, yeah, acronym. That's what there I was trying go. to think of. There you go. Um, but I can't remember the name of the company. But they held this annual showcase, and these bands could show up and play like a uh, three-minute set, like a three-minute display mm-hmm. of what you can do. So most of us would play like a medley of whatever we had. And um, that was a good way of getting... So essentially what it would be is like is mostly college uh, entertainment organizations that would all show up and watch all these bands and comedians and all kinds of stuff play and uh we get up there and we play our three minutes and then at the end of the whole three-day event all these organizations get together and say okay we want this band and you're in between their home and our school would you be interested because if both of us book them then they'll give us a discount so it's just kind of one of these great ways to build a quick tour, um, and then so we did that early on. Okay. And Navy Entertainment was at one of those things, and, and uh, they booked us for for two separate trips yep. to to the Middle East and to Africa. so after playing the show for the the Navy guys and the troops, were you able to kind of go out and see what over both and both of those territories? So so in Bahrain, it was a little more loose, where we we got dropped off into a very nice suite for all of us and then mm-hmm. we had the ability to kind of uh, at least right there within that area we could do some exploring in Africa we weren't all allowed off the base um, so we got sort of bust in to the base and bust back to the airport and that was pretty much it so it's and you know it felt like the right call uh, yeah. honestly we were we were very well protected but we did get you know some of the best adventures of my life that's twice now I've gotten to play on a uh aircraft carrier in the middle of the North Arabian Sea, wow. which meant that I got to fly out on the, the cod plane yeah. and get catch the tail hook on the aircraft carrier. You know, you go, you know, hundreds of miles an hour to zero in two seconds. Yeah. And uh, and then at the end of the show... Never ride a roller coaster again, right? Oh, yeah, right. That's all, I'm ruined for roller coasters now. <laughs> um, got to ride a Black Hawk from the, the uh, aircraft carrier over to the destroyer, yeah. play a show, and take a tour and then come back and then sleep on the ship and then take off the next day wow. you know um just amazing stuff a lot of cool experiences along yeah way. yeah well, kind of what i thought was a once in a lifetime turned out to be a twice in a lifetime yeah. I, I, i'd love to do it again yeah. but um 
but yeah, I, I guess probably you know the European tours. There's a whole lot of questions about back home. You know, they do a, a lot of listening room type things. They do, they do. There's a. It's almost kind of, unless you go to a pub where there is no PA. You know, sometimes, particularly like in Ireland, there's a. There'll be pubs where there's not scheduled music or anything, but mm-hmm. you'll just be sitting there drinking and chatting, and you'll start. You'll hear somebody start singing a cappella. And everybody stops what they're doing and turns around and listens. And it's just a patron that's decided to get up and sing, sing a song. There you go. And uh, and they get done and they clap and then we all go back to chatting and maybe somebody fires it up again. And you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the furthest from a listening room that you can find in Ireland. And it's still a listening room. It's like as long as anybody's singing, yeah. you know, they're they're incredibly respectful, respectful, and uh, um, just very uh, hospitable. It feels. Uh, kind of like being in the South, you know, when you're yeah. in Ireland, it's uh, they're so the, the Southern hospitality is this. It's a definitely a thing. It's related, yeah. yeah. It's related for sure. Um, but there, you know, uh, particularly all over Europe, and I think that because there's our news cycles are so you know mm-hmm. uh, intertwined between here and Europe, particularly that um, we feel like we've got something to talk about. You know, like there's yeah. it's it's not just about like. How do you live back home? Yeah. We already know how you live back home. Yeah. We've seen we it on the see news. Yeah. What are you guys thinking? But like we already understand what's yeah. yeah. Yeah, and some of the some of the previous things, not to go into it, but a lot of it is kind of it can be political and it can be military. Like what are sure. your what are your thoughts about what's going on right here, right now? And I was like, That's that's a cool that's it's cool as like the, we're asking these kind of questions like yes. man to man, you yeah. know, because what you see on the media is oftentimes not how a majority of us feel. Of course, of course. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that maybe I can kind of change the skew of what you you think that we think. Right. Because I certainly don't agree with a lot of that stuff. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There's there's so many um, so many questions that you can almost feel coming because you 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 know and I, I wish I truly wish that there was some sort of prerequisite style thing or some I don't know how it gets funded and God knows let's not go into that but um, some kind of prerequisite mandatory travel that everyone must do between the ages of 18 and 30 you know where I I think you know I do know so many people who haven't really gotten out of their area which is great I mean if you love where you if it ain't broke don't fix it I I get that completely but Man, it's it's such an eye opener to get out and see not mm-hmm. only, you know, I, I'm I'm familiar with the South. I know how it works. I've grown up here, and and I've I've got so many people that I love here, and I'm familiar with it. Um, it can be a little bit of an echo chamber, though. It can be a little bit of just everybody agreeing yeah. loudly sometimes, and uh, to get to get out far enough to be able to talk to people who have an observation of what's going on there, to be able yeah. to say. It's scary to us when this happens in your part of the world because this is how we do things here, and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, this makes me want to rethink things. Yeah, I went to uh, Chile for two weeks. Nice. It was a mission trip. It was through uh, South Alabama. I wasn't even a student there. I don't know how I got away with it, but went on this trip. Yeah, uh, helping a missionary out down there, and we were going to the colleges and just surveying thoughts on Christianity and like. Would you be willing to meet at a coffee shop to talk about religion? Sure. You know, whatever whatever the case is. And it was a crazy time to be there because they were on riot. Really? 
and they thought, and they were like these gangs assembling, and this is in the capital of Santiago. They thought that Americans went to school for college for free. Mm. But you turn on the news, <laughs> and that's what was conveyed. Like, that's what they wow. saw. It's like, I'm a college student, brother. It ain't free. Yeah. It's far no from free. Kidding. Like, some of us are fortunate enough to have a scholarship, but for the rest of us, there's this thing called Sweet Sally May. <laughs> right. And we get to pay her for 20 yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We're lucky. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, they was like, so you don't go to school for free. And so a lot of it, you know, wasn't actually spent, which I thought was fine because it was exchange of worldview. It's like, you're this. Yeah. I was like, dude, you cannot believe those things. Right. It's not real. And so, like, throwing Molotov cocktails through businesses, and it was a crazy time to be down there. Right. But to interact and to kind of, we didn't, you know, didn't, obviously didn't get to talk to everybody, but of the people that we did get to talk to was like, huh. Well, I thought for sure y'all went to school for free. That's <laughs> not the case, dude. I can show you an account. That's, that's so strange. It's crazy how it's the telephone game, you know. Yeah, it is. It's uh, but you know, I think that it's uh, it's 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 getting more and more bizarre now to where you know it, when you do hear things like that about it's it's getting more more believable because of you yeah. know how the, the news is stranger and stranger every day. Oh yeah, yeah. and that, just the thing about media is like anybody with a camera phone is a media person now if they yeah. want to be. Yeah, and if you're crafty, you can edit and make it look like anything you want it to. It would, yeah, which is true. But at the same thing, like I, I, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to dial back any of that. You know, I, no. I think that um, whether whether you're pushing an agenda or not, you know, leave it up to me. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out what sources I trust. Yeah. Um, and and we should all be smart about that. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll figure out what sources I trust. But um, yeah, let the information flow. I, you know, I, 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 I'm real. I'm, I'm really scared of the whole. Uh, I don't want to start turning the knob to the left on any sort of. I yeah. don't want to start closing off any kind of information. I don't want there to be a, a backtrack of. Uh, I don't. You know, and I still, even though there is so much corrupt stuff, and I don't. You know, not to, not to pick a side, but I, just because it's topical, I, I think that. Um, I, I think that it's important for us. Whoever needs to change, it's important for us to not call our press the enemy of the people. Whether it's the press that needs to change or the people who are saying that they need to change, yeah. uh, that's got to get fixed. Yeah, it needs to. Right, right away, right mm-hmm. away. There's no, no time to spare. What a rabbit hole. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I'm pulling my head out. Yeah, and now uh, you're doing a solo tour. We got Columbus tonight, and uh, it's about time to eat. Oh, cool. Yeah. So. Uh, you wanted to get a bite but uh uh with a solo tour so you'll stop in tuscaloosa tomorrow after this and that'll come to a close and just to kind of give people an idea of how they can get a hold of your music and just ways to access what you have going on social media or however you interact with fans awesome well thank you yeah i'm on uh i'm on facebook and uh i've uh i think I think I'm on Twitter as the Ross Newell, um, okay. and uh, I regret that. That was I made that name up a long time ago. It was uh, <laughs> um, my website is rossnewell.com, and that's yeah. where you know it's real hard to post your schedule anywhere but a website, and so that's where I send people for, for the for the schedule. There's a there's always a detailed schedule on rossnewell.com. Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, all that good stuff. I'm I'm working on my first solo record now, so I don't have any 
music out under Ross Newell, but I wrote all those Mulligan Brothers songs. There so you if go. you want to look up the Mulligan Brothers, there's uh, three full studio albums and a, a double live album and all kinds of content to check out there. I've I've spent some time with two so far, and it's been good, brother. Well, thank really you, sir. Really enjoyed them. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, man. I, thank you so much again for having me. Yes, sir. Would you like to close us out with another song? Oh, Is sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'll do... Uh, This is the closest thing to a controversial song that I've ever written, <laughs> and I didn't mean to at all. I really didn't think I was being controversial. Again, let me let me say I'm a I'm a I was born and raised in the South, and I love it here. My my intent with this song was just to uh, I think it can be real easy to uh, grow up and and grow up in that echo chamber. You know, like yeah. you, you hear the same beliefs and thoughts from everybody, and you respect those people and you love them, and they're the reason you're alive. And uh, it can be real hard to grow up and uh, feel like you can reevaluate those things, mm-hmm, sure, and not feel like you're disrespecting the people who raised you, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was my intent with this song, but it often does not get interpreted. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, one of those that needs to explain it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I have to apologize in advance for this song. This one's called "Great Great Granddaddy's War." Can't remember the last time I saw a real smile Just faces made for pictures from across the aisle I was born on this team, I was born to win Lord have mercy on the others and forgive their sins I know that I'm supposed to be angry for the life of me, I can't figure out what for. If I can lie down with someone who loves me instead of dying in my great granddaddy's war, we were born. Crying with our egos bruised Below the Mason-Dixon with the red state blue We've got a lot of heroes here Screaming Southern pride But a hero's just a villain to the other side There's a hundred years of bitterness in our blood and it flows with the conviction of a 40-day flood Until we're out of ammunition and the rivers run red Over what Jesus meant by what he never said I know that I'm supposed to be angry For the life of me, I can't figure out what for Someone who loves me Instead of dying in my great granddaddy's war Oh, pass me down that passion in the
those blue eyes And give me that strong back and thinning hair I'll take those calloused hands And I will use them for good But let me choose my own cross to bear Cause they're heavier down I swear they're heavier down here I know that I'm supposed to be angry And for the life of me I can't figure out what for I believe that I'd be fortunate to die here But I ain't dying in Thanks very much. All right. It's been another episode of Porch Talk. Ross, thank you so much for sitting down with us, Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, man. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.